pleasure to see that people, even at this late hour, as the uh, weeks get late, uh, still are looking for something to do. Those married couples looking for a cheap date. In any event, so nice to see everybody here at this, uh, this late hour. Um, before I begin, I'd like to point out, uh, I'd like to actually apologize for the title, The Omer Making It Count. I, I know that's pretty corny, but um, I, I don't know if you know what really goes into preparing this year. And most of the time is spent coming up with the title. Um, this is really true. This is really true. Uh, the truth is that I, I'm often honored by the presence of Hanoch uh, Tella who comes to our shiurim. And uh, he says to me, I really enjoy the shiur a lot. It's just those titles, they kill me. <laughs> I guess he knows something about it. So, um, so I, I just want you to appreciate what actually goes into it. I mean, that was the one that was selected from a group. There was a group of titles possible this evening. Lagba Omer, Dance of Death. My wife, did, my wife didn't like that one. <laughs> I said, so why don't we say Lagba Omer, Dance Macabre? No one will know that it means the same thing. We're still... Um, those of us who have small children would, of course, appreciate The Count Counts the Omer, but she wouldn't let me do that one. And the, the final one that was my personal favorite was The Mask of Omer. I have no idea what that means, but it sure sounds great, doesn't it? You know? So I suppose making the Omer count is the least atrocious of all the possible titles that we had to work with. Um, and the truth is that obviously, you know, it segues so beautifully this week's parasha, parasha's Emor, where we have the mitzvah Sirius Omer which on the surface seems to be a somewhat unusual mitzvah, to count. What, why is there a mitzvah to count? Now I have to point out that depending on your age, the mitzvah of Sirius Aimer will mean different things to you, right? And, and when you're younger, so the entire challenge of Sirius Aimer is trying to keep counting. That's hard, that itself is enough of a focus. Right? And they give out little Sirius Omer calendars that you can put on your refrigerator with a little paper clip, move up and down, you know. They give you little cards, and now I'm sure there's electronic Omer beepers that are designed specifically to cue you into the day, you know. And yet, things happen. It's amazing how challenging when you're younger. Of course, now we're those of us who are, you know, um, not as younger. You know, we, we know that, you know, that you start off, you know, it, it's, not, it's not the biggest deal in the world. I don't know why when you're younger, the count for seven weeks is such a big deal. But it's, we all know, if we went through that period of our lives just trying to keep in the count, you know? I remember one time, uh, <laughs> my first years, I had some trouble with this, and then I come in, and I'm doing great, you know, and I come into shul, you know, and I say, like, tonight is, you know, whatever it is, tonight is uh, uh, 28, you know, I say, oh, 28, and they count 29. And I said, I think they're wrong. <laughs> and I checked my stress on my calendar and beeper and the thing. They're all right. I missed a day. I don't even know how. It's amazing. That happens to me now today when I'm not counting, but just in general. You know, it, it seems like such a hard thing. And yet we all know, those of us who are in elementary school, remember how when it comes to the end of the year, everybody has a calendar in the back of their, you know, um, I, I said this recently at a group, and they said, what do you mean elementary school? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it never changes. They have the little calendar, you start crossing off the days, you know, how much time is left, 15 days, 12 days, 3 days. You have no trouble staying in the count. <laughs> you know, just how much time is left. So, I don't know why it seems that Sirius Omer gives us a particular problem with counting, and I want to try to talk about that this evening. What might be the real challenge of the counting, and what it is we're counting, and why we're counting, and how to make it count, right? Okay, so I'll start at the beginning. 
Because the, one of the, the first questions that occur with the Omer is the fact that we're not counting down, but rather we're counting up. We're counting up, as we're all aware of, right? You count up. What are you counting up for? So I'll tell you, I, I was back in America for Pesach, and a, and a tremendous appreciation to anybody who invited in a family with eight children before Pesach, during Pesach, or after Pesach. But uh, I was back in America, and I was reminded by something that uh, uh, the Magid Shalayim of Shadron had said, a story with, uh, uh, he, he talks about uh, in America, you know, everyone knows there's two days Yantif. He says, there's two days Shabbos. The second day is Sunday. Sunday is the Shabbos Sheni Shogalias. And there's a special thing of Sunday. I always find when people come here to learn, you know, in, in yeshivas and seminaries where they've been in regular day schools, they're always shocked by the fact that now all of a sudden, you know, there's a Sunday. Sunday's a regular day. In America, you have a second Shabbos. It's Sunday. And he says, uh, what happens? He says, it's terrific. He says, here you have a whole day off to sit and learn. It's unbelievable, with no obligations and nothing. So he says, so what happens? He says, Poman goes to shul, and they're davening. Nava, rabba, v'hoi, neinu b'sar secha. You know, lilum u'lame, lishmer u'lasa. He said, give us taira, you know? He says, the malachim fill up big barrels with taira to dump on top of you. And just as soon as you finish davening, they'll pour it out on top of you. And you finish, they put away your tefillin. And then he walks out the door. And the Malachim are following down the street with the buckets of Torah, you know. And he walks into the corner store and he buys the Sunday paper. Takes two hands to carry it home. You know what I mean? You, know? you put it down. And it's a ritual. It's actually a religious ritual that I've had a chance to see. You, know, you forget these things. You're back in America. You know, it's, The Sunday paper is a religious ritual. You have to read through every section. Travel, even though you're not going anyplace. You know what I mean? Help wanted, even though you like your job. You don't plan on changing. The auto ads, you don't know how to drive. You know, Real estate, you couldn't afford a house. But it doesn't matter. Every single section mamish religiously till the sun starts to set the distance you know you know then you say why didn't we do anything today you know but there's just the paper the paper so i was in a house and everybody was like into the sunday paper i didn't want to be left out you know so um too late for me if i help wanted so i went for uh, i went for the book review book review and i found the review um by uh, a director i forgot his name now patty patty koshevsky uh, yeah. So, yeah, so he uh, he just came, that's the one. He just came out with a book. Uh, he decided he wanted to interview the famous directors of Hollywood before he loses them. You know, they're all gonna die. Never, you know. And we know the contributions they've all made. So uh, he wants to interview them to like keep forever the contributions that they've made. So. Uh, so he writes about this one guy he's interviewing, I don't remember his name, but this one old director, he says, you ever see when NASA has a launch? You ever see they have a launch and how they count down? 10, 9, 8, 7, 2, 1, Shh. He says, I invented that. This director came up with the NASA countdown. He says, I was doing an early movie and uh, I had a, a rocket was going to take off and I, had to, I wanted to build up the suspense and I suddenly realized now listen to this, Mamas, you can find, you can find Chachm every place. He says, I finally realized that if I count up, no one will know what I'm counting to. In other words, I'll count to 10, let's say it's going to blast over 10, 9, 10. So no one knows I'm going to 10, maybe I'm going to 20. I'm going to 50, I'm going to 100. And no one knows what to count to. 
but everyone knows how to count down to zero. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> you know, we all know how to work ourselves down to nothing. You know, those of you. <laughs> now the truth is, we have overdraft. We can do more than that. You know what I'm <laughs> But to watch your resources, your time, or anything else run out and end up with nothing, we all know how to do that. To work down to zero, this is what he said. It's true. It's your sight. We all know how to work down to nothing. We all know how to be left with nothing. That, that we know how to do. But to count up, no one knows what they're counting up to. Azazah. And, and it's true. It's Mamish, a, a, a tremendous, tremendous insight. Consequently, when we talk about Shavuos, which is only mentioned in the Torah in the context of after you count your seven weeks, then on the 50th day, you'll bring a Mincha Kadosh, etc. You imagine that Shavuos, Zman Matan Torah Seinu, should get its whole, a whole build up. And all it's described of is at the end of these seven weeks. Why is this? So the answer is because unlike the Hollywood directors, we know exactly what we're counting up to. The truth is the Bechor Shor says it so beautifully. Number three, Shonim give, uh, give this response. Bechor Shor says it beautifully. It's Kedai to see it inside. Bechor Shor says, it's a marshal. It's a marshal to a fellow who's thrown into prison. And those of you are familiar, you know, in the Middle Ages, they didn't have prisoner rights. It wasn't shot, you know, you had a right to demonstrate for more time on the cable television. You know what I mean? It's like, you were in prison, it was a dank hole with no hope of tomorrow. It was a terrible, devastating. And so, here you are in prison with no hope of salvation, and you get a message. The king says, on a particular day, you're going to go free. And 50 days later, you're going to marry my daughter. Marry the princess. So here this guy is, in this hole, living in total devastation, with no hope of ever seeing the sun. And you're telling him, he's not only going to go free, but he's going to marry the princess. He says, you know what, how have I ever get out of here? You know, I, I can't even focus on such a concept, ridiculous. And what happens? So, sure enough, on the appointed day, he goes free. He says, hey, wait a second. This is unbelievable. Just like this came true, so too the other promise will come true. And he immediately starts counting to the day of his marriage. He knows exactly what he's counting to. And so says the Bechor it's the same thing here. Here we are in Mitzrayim. And Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, go and tell the people. I'm going to take him out of Mitzrayim, and I'm going to bring him to this mountain, and he's going to serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And I'm going to give him the Torah. So he says, B'nai Yisrael says, kosha, as it says in the Torah. They didn't listen to Moshe. They said, get the Torah and Sinai. We'll never get out of here. We don't even get straw anymore since you came. We're killing ourselves. Thanks for nothing. You're going to get me out of here. I'm going to get the Tyra. Forget it. When they finally had Yetzirah Mitzrayim, and they had one day to focus on the Geula, they said, we're free. We left Mitzrayim. Immediately they start counting to Kabbalah Tyra. They say, if this came true, then the next will come true too. Meaning, we're counting to an event based on a previous event. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes us from Mitzrayim, frees us from the prison, takes us out, and tells us, I'm giving you a guarantee. 
I'm giving you a promise that you're going to also get the Torah. And it's on that that we're counting to. And yet in truth, that, that still tells us we're counting to an event. And so we count down. You know, a person said to me, you know, if I know I'm getting married, I don't say this is the 16th day till my marriage, the 25th day till my marriage. You know, you say, there's four days left, three days left, two days. You still count down. Why are we counting up? It doesn't deal with that question. But at least we understand that we're counting. We, well, let's put it this way. We know what we're counting to. So, I have to tell you that when you come to a time like Sirius Aimer, it's one of those frankly depressing times, just like a Sarah Simei Tshuva. Why is that? So Sarah Simei Tshuva, we all know what it is we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do Tshuva. Uh, preferably Tshuva Shlema. Meaning that we should feel bad for everything that we ever did. We should resolve never to do it again and just become perfect. I like those kind of clear focused things because then you know, you know I know what I'm supposed to do. Never ever do anything bad ever ever again. Baruch Hashem. You know? And get up early and say slichas. But that, you know, who can get up and do that? But at least never ever sin again, right? You know, conversing tshuva. And you're always left with, how do I make it real? And Baruch Hashem, Sirius Aimer is another one of those times. We all know this. We've heard this since we were children. We're going from Mitzrayim to Har Sinai. It's the seven-week journey of growth and perfection. When the Jews came out, they were on the 49th level of Tumor, and they had to rise to the 49th level of Kedusha. And so every day they went up, and every day they moved up, and every day they grew in perfect until they reached the highest level of Kedusha, and that's what we have to do. Excellent. And how do we do that? Just remember back in the Sesame Tshuva when you did perfect Tshuva, I'll bet you it's somewhere along the same lines. You know what I mean? Shouldn't be too hard. If you know how to do perfect Tshuva, then you should be able to know how to reach the final level of Kedusha. And yet that's kind of hard for us to have a focus. I mean, how do you do it? What do you do? And so, it's brought down with Desla and Mikhtam Eliyahu. It's brought down with Bian, Leib Eliyahu. Chaim Shmulovitz mentions it. It's brought down... Uh, the shame, the Alt of Kelm, or we saw Salanta, Chaim Velozhin, I saw it brought down. They all make the same observation. There is a way that you can prepare yourself to reach this level of Kedusha to receive the Torah. They all give you the same thing. As we know, there's a, uh, a minug during these weeks to learn Pikiyavos on the Shabbos in between, Pesach and Shruis, a Perika week. And at the end of Pirkei Avos, there's a brysa. Perik Vav, Mishnah Hei Vav, depending on your girasa. And it's referred to as the Memches Dvarim Sha'atari Niknesba. It is the 48 things that one needs to be able to acquire Torah. Greater is Torah than the Malchus of Kahuna, because Torah has these 48 attributes. And the Mishnah then goes and lists them for you. The aside that everybody says is as following. The reason there are 49 days is because there are these 48 things that the Torah is kind of with. That you need to be Niknas Torah. And the way that you do it is by each day working on one, and the last day you review all of them. I have to tell you, that always bothers me. <laughs> it's like those gematrias that are slightly off. But, uh, you know, whether there should be 49 things, no? But, but it's posh it. Because one of the 48 things you need to be Kona Torah is to review. 
So you can't tell me that the whole process is going to not include a review when one of the 48 things is a review. Sort of like one of those famous questions. These are these, are these baffling questions that people ask you. You know, like, um, I'm trying to remember the hardest philosophical question I've ever asked. Oh yeah, if 7-Eleven is open 365 days a year, uh, 24 hours a day, why do they have locks on the door? These are important <laughs> philosophical questions <laughs> that we need to grapple with. Now, Baruch Hashem, with time, I've managed to answer just about every one. I, I'm still stuck. The, the one question I've never been able to ask or answer was, who was cast with a friendly ghost before he died? <laughs> I, personally, I've always believed cast with a friendly boy, although people want to riot that he was a boy, but I'll keep a say that. But in any event, so this is one of those questions. You know, one of these questions, what is it? There's an exception to every rule. We've all heard that. There's an exception to every rule. So someone said to me, if there's an exception to every rule, then there must be an exception to that rule. That means there's a rule with no exception. Because if every rule has an exception, then the rule that is an exception to every rule should have an exception. I always wonder what motivates people to think up these kind of questions. You know what I mean? Like, you have nothing to do with your time, you know? Come by my house, I'll give you something to do, you know what I mean? <laughs> Boredom. So I came up with an answer, it's obvious. There's an exception to every rule. What's the exception? That rule? The rule that there's an exception to every rule is the rule that's the exception to the rule that there's an exception to every rule. I'd like you to go over that quickly. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> I used to have this... This collection of great quotes when George Romney, we're going back a long time, George Romney was running for president, Democratic uh, nomination in 1968. They'd asked him a question and he had this great quote. It was, I didn't say that I didn't say it. I said I didn't say that I said it. You can use that if you <laughs> find the opportunity. You try to work these things into everyday life and then you too could lose the presidency. But in any event... <laughs> yeah, well, look at Dan Quayle. Anyway, so... The point is that, what is the point? Oh yeah, so the point is there are these 48 things that we're supposed to be focusing on one every day and the end the total review. Meaning, of course we're counting up because it's not that we're counting to the event of Kabbalah Satira. It's not that we're just counting when Shu is gonna be to keep track, but you know, how many shopping days left, eh? Get, make sure you get the sour cream before they get there. But you walk in Eric Shrewis, forget it, right? Places, places emptied of anything looking like sour cream. But uh, it's not just you're counting to an event. Every day you're counting up. Yesterday I was 25, now I'm 26. I've added another level of understanding to what it is to be kind of the tiger. I've taken another one of these memches dvarim and incorporated it. Now, a moment of practicality. As easy as it is to do Tshuva Shlema and reach the 49th level of Kedusha, so it is to spend one day and become an Anav, one day and be Samech Mechelkai, one day and Amunas Chachamim, you know, one day Oyevis Abrias. It takes usually more than a day. It takes almost two days. Yeah, but you can imagine how long you have to try to count for seven times, you know, was that 14 weeks, you'll never make it. But, uh, but the truth is what you can do, and this is a practical suggestion that I, that I think that everyone should do. Take a look at the day, whatever the particular of the Memchaz it is, and say, this is my focus for the day. No, I'm not going to be kind of it, but this is my focus. Develop in myself a, a 
sensitivity to this idea. Right? No kvetching today. Try that. One day. <laughs> yeah? I had uh, here's a miat sicha. But one day. Yeah, I'm not saying not to talk. Not to talk. Although there are people who do. They have this concept of a tiniest dibur. But for one day, someone doesn't talk. Someone told me, he says, uh, one day, you know, he, he took upon himself a tiniest dibur. And uh, he says, boy, he says, I had the best conversations that day. You know, people came over and they just talked and talked. And afterwards they thanked me. You know what I mean? Oh, thanks for listening. I had such a great conversation. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess everybody else hadn't looked at the Mishnah that day. At the Bryce, rather. So they didn't know me. And see, but you know, develop a new sense of sensitivity of what that is for this day. I'm adding, I'm growing, and I'm going up in these different levels. And that's what we're counting to. We're counting accomplishments. If you will, we're not counting just down to nothing. We're counting up to 49 accomplishments. And when we have reached that point that we have accomplished what we can, we go into Shavuos. Along the way, and as you know, there'll be no Shia next Saturday night. First of all, because there never is every, other, every week. But in addition to that, I would never have put a Shia on the Moti Shabbos of Lagba Omer. We are reaching now Lagba Omer, a week away. The 33rd day of this whole count. Now, I have to tell you, this is an extremely unusual activity for those of us, especially who come from the United States, Canada, really any developed country. <laughs> those of you who have never been in Eretzrael for Lagba Omer, I, I can only try to describe it to you. It's difficult to believe. People are sure that I'm making that. I've said this. I spoke once in England on this. I spoke in America. No one believes me. They're sure that I'm, I'm just total fantasy. But you grew up in America, so they take a bunch of these, like, you know, soft day school kids, you know, out to the park to play sports, you know, with their teachers who are even in worse shape. You know, it's a little depressing. But occasionally, there's a concept of a log on a fire. I grew up out on Long Island, and you couldn't make a fire. You needed like 63 permits, and you started applying for it, like, you know, in the summer beforehand. You get all the permits. And then finally, they'll send down professional people to set up a small fire, you know. There has to be a fire truck nearby and an ambulance. <laughs> for actual insurance reasons, no one under 18 is allowed to even see the fire. You might burn your retina, you know what I mean, and institute a suit. You see all the little kids with the Frankfurters, they cook them in the microwave, put it on a stick and point it in the general direction of where the smoke might be coming, you know. I mean, I remember, I have these memories when I was a little kid, we burnt the leaves, now forget it. I mean, nothing, you know, forget it. So there's this concept, there's a fire on Lag Bomia, but you never actually see it, you know. There's only like professional people, or Boy Scouts, you know what I mean, who are trained to deal with knives and ropes and guns and, you know, so that they become good citizens or organized crime leaders. But in any event, <laughs> but in any event, you know, there's, there's this, you know, there's, there's kinds of lot about so it sort of passes in a somewhat innocuous fashion. And then you come to Israel. Now, like I say, those who have just come, I want you to look through the streets. And I want you to see that there are these pyres 150 feet high. <laughs> Have you noticed them rising around you? And you wonder, is there a Greek god who's going to be burnt that this is necessary? And yet there's a clue. There's a clue. If, you, if you've just come, there's a clue. Because as you notice, as people are going around collecting the wood, and by that I mean old branches of trees, 
trees, <laughs> dining room tables, <laughs> entire homes <laughs> being dragged over, you know. You'll notice the people doing the chopping and the dragging are all under eight years old. <laughs> I want you to watch this and see if I'm exaggerating. They're all running, climbing off of cliffs to like rip off, you know, something, you know, going to construction sites and pulling out all the wood and the building collapses. And I mean, this, pulling it all together to make these giant pipes. And you wonder, gosh, you know, where are the adults? Yes. Now comes, it's on Saturday night, so, you know, I, I just want you to preach what's going to happen. You'll see immediately after Shabbos, those who haven't already done so, first thing you do, you pull in all the laundry, right? You pull in the laundry. There weren't any laundry outside. And then, it could be 120 degrees, you lock all the windows. You lock all the windows. And then, like, I don't know, it's, it's like some sort of a Stephen King novel, you know, uh, Lord of the Flies. It becomes the night of the burning children. <laughs> And all of the kindergarten children were like soot on their face, start running through the streets with torches. Ah! And they set fire to the pyres, which whoosh into the air. Where are the parents, you ask? Crawling under the beds, hiding in hope that like in those vampire movies, wait for dawn, you know what I mean? The dawn comes and the adults slowly come out, you know? And it's like after a nuclear war, you know? There's just like ashes floating in the air, you know? And there's like hell of smoke hanging over the entire country, you know? And it's like the survivors come out, oh, you know? Anything left, they got my car, oh my God. I was sitting here, I don't know, they made the fire down on brand, I think, but I was sitting there, you know, in my house, and I saw that there's this, like, bus shelter on, on Scholzen, and the flames just, like, whooshed up, you know, and consumed, whoosh, you know, big fireballs moving through the streets, you know, and you have to ask, what is the religious significance of this? <laughs> The first time, I mean, like, when I came to the first year, I said, this is not my religion. I don't know what this is. I've never seen anything like this. This is, I must be kidding. What is motivating people there? So my first approach to life when I saw this was, and I think it's true, as we know, when, you, when you're trying to find your way in Judaism, and the first step is, of course, Zahiris, as Masil Shem tells us, thinking about your actions. So Masil Shem explains, you reach a level called Nikias. And what's the difference between Zahiris and Nikias? Zahiris means you're thinking and being careful not to do anything wrong. But Nikias means the following. Even though you're thinking and trying to be careful, you could end up being repressed. You have to like hold yourself in check. You know intellectually it's right, but you really would rather be doing something else, maybe. Nikias means to remove those desires from you. So I think that maybe what the Torah tried to do was give everyone an opportunity to express whatever deviant behavior they have that they're repressing. So, you're an alcoholic, you have Purim, you know what I mean? You're a night person, Shruis. Fresh air fiend, Sukkis. A clean freak, Pesach. And should you be a serious pyromaniac, what Roma? <laughs> Why shouldn't every deviant behavior have an opportunity to be expressed within a Torah context? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I haven't yet figured out when exactly the kleptomanias go at it, but they seem to have reached me occasionally. But okay, that's one approach. And yet I can't help but think there must be something deeper. 
So we all know already, as anyone who has a kid who goes to Gan and comes back, singing Bar Yochai, Bar Yochai. And it's always beautiful, you know, if you're actually someplace where they sing Bar Yochai, because no one knows any of the words, you know what I mean? <laughs> and everyone's going, Bar Yochai, Words there. We know it has something to do with Shimon Bar Yochai or, or somebody else Bar Yochai, but we imagine it, Shimon. And we imagine it has something to do with the fact that we know that it was his Yorotite, and on the day of his death, he brought down the Zohar, the great light, and that's why we build these terrible fires. Okay. For those of us who are not like, you know, into Kabbalah on a recreational level, it's difficult to understand what that could be referring to. So I want, if I can, to, to introduce another problem that I've had with the concept of Lagba Omer. Concept of Lagba Omer. That's the following. I had this question a long time. I always thought it was a brilliant question. My son came home from Ghana, he was four years old, he asked me the same question. Either means my son is brilliant or I'm just not that smart, you know. <laughs> but uh, when uh, we all know that during this time, a terrible tragedy, the fact that Rabbi Kiva had 24,000 Talmidim. The story of Rabbi Kiva is in itself, you know, something that is inspirational to us. It's inspirational on many levels. Here's Rabbi Akiva, this ignorant shepherd, although I always thought that would be more or less a given, because you can't imagine a guy would really go to school for shepherding. Not, not for like a long time anyway, you know. I can imagine if your guidance counselor sits down with you and say, well, I've looked over your test results and I think shepherding is the career for you, you know. <laughs> My son, the shepherd. But in any event, so an ignorant shepherd, that to me would seem to be pretty basic. And, um, and Rachel agrees to marry him if he will become a Talmud Chacham. Kiva thinks about it, wants to think about it, he says, my gosh, I'm already 40. I'm already 40, you know? It's like, now to first start learning Aleph base at this point in my life, it's so hard. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 already. In general, there seems to be this concept that unless you got started really early, you know, it was, it was finished for you. The beginning of Pirkei the Rebbe Eliezer, Rebbe Eliezer ben Hurkinus, who, as we know, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avo says that if you would have taken all of the Chachamim and put them on one side of the scale, and Rebbe Eliezer ben Hurkinus and put them on the other side, he would have outweighed them all. So Rebbe Eliezer ben Hurkinus had never had a chance to learn. And he wanted to go learn. His father says, it's too late for you. There's different Giruses. Either he was 22 or 24 or 18. It's too late for you. Right? And Rebbe Eliezer so the story goes, the Medrash tells us, he was, he'd start plowing and he'd sit down and start to cry. He'd say, I want to learn Torah. So the father says, oh, it must be too hot in the valley. Put him on the mountain. Has him in the mountain. Starts to cry. I want to learn Torah. The father says, oh, it must be too mountainous. Puts him in the best piece he has. Keeps crying. I want to learn Torah. Until so Yohanavi appears and says, so go learn Torah. Go off and learn. Even if you're over the hill at 18. Right? So here Rebbe Kiva is 40. My gosh, forget it. 40 years old. And we all know the story. He finds a rock, little drips of water that eventually wore a hole in the rock. And he says, if those drops of water can put a hole in a rock, then the words of Torah can put a hole into my head, can penetrate even into my rock of a head. He goes off for 12 years. At the end of 12 years, he has 12,000 Talmidim. The deal he made with Rafa was to sit and learn for 12 years, and he's coming home. 12 years, 12,000 Talmidim. He comes to his wife to surprise her. I don't know how you come to town with 12,000 Talmidim and surprise somebody. <laughs> shh, shh, shh. Hold it down, 
Shh. Let me keep it once quiet. Oh, Sneaks up to the window. You know what I'm saying? You know? And she's in there talking to a neighbor who says, what a rat this guy is. He goes off to learn. He abandons you. Here you are. And she says, if he was here, I would give him another 12 years. Okay. Turn it around, boys. Yeah. You know, and off he goes. You know? And everyone asks the cashier, stop in for a cup of coffee, say hello, it's 12 years, what have you been doing, how are things, you know, place looks the same, you know, <laughs> but, you know stop in. The terrace is, as everyone says, because Eno Daimer, 24 to 12 and 12. You, and everyone knows that. If you sit down to, to learn for an hour, and then you take a break, and you learn for another hour, it's not the same as learning for two hours. It's just not the same. And so consequently, he felt that if his wife was willing to make this sacrifice, he had to make every moment count. Every moment count. You know, I know when, I, when I, my wife, made, after I finished working for nine years in, in NCSY in Long Island, and I came to learn, I made the same range for my wife. I went out and bought instant coffee so that it would go much faster in the coffee room. But in any event, sacrifices we make for learning. But in any event, so he goes back and learns for another 24 years, and he comes back with another 12,000 Talmud. Yeah. 24,000 Talmudim. Unbelievable. And as we know, tragically, they all die in a 33-day period between Pesach and Shurus. And like Baomer, is a happy day because they don't die. Now, if it's 33 days, so of course it should say they die between Pesach and like Baomer. 33 days. And it shouldn't be a question of discussion whether they died the first 33 days, the last 33 days, or the middle. It's a historical event. So the Maharil explains that it means that in the 49 period, they died for 33 of the days. And he makes a cheshman of 15 days when they didn't die. Pesach and Pesach Sheni and uh, Rosh Chodesh, etc. And he makes a count and there's only 15 days. So the 16th day was Lagba Omer, they didn't die. Of course, we always understood it simple. They died 33 days, like Bomer, they didn't die. Right? The end of the process, people stopped with Avelus then. Which inspired me a question. What's the reason that Lagbom was such a happy day? Let me keep his tell me them stop dying. Of course, they were all dead. <laughs> you realize that? If they died by Lag Bomer, part of the story. What a happy day. No one's left. <laughs> it's like a guy who invests $50,000 in the stock market and loses $1,000 a day, and on the 50th day, he's so happy. No more money to lose. <laughs> Let's make a party. I'm glad that's over with. But so happy about Lag Bomber. And, it, and we'll go with the Maharil, of course, that, you know, fine, it, it just means that they stopped dying on Lag Bomber, but they all died out. So on this, the pre Chodosh in Shulchan Aruch asks, so what's the simple... What, what is that? What kind of happiness is this? What kind of celebration? This is a celebration? They, they stopped dying for a day. And then they all died. They all died. What's the celebration? What is so happy about Lag Baomer? So I want to give it what I, I, I think might be an insight for us as we approach Lag Baomer and maybe tie it in with the Omer in general. Let's focus for a moment on the plight of Klai Yisrael at this particular moment. You know, and it's always difficult for us because 
Baruch Hashem, we live in an age, you know, you walk into any shul, you walk into any home, and you see it filled with svarim. Filled with svarim. You know, and many of us are, are like, you know, svarim maniacs, you know, put us in a svarim shop and we go nuts, you know, walking with money in your pocket, you know, people come to learn it for years, it gets to the end, shvua, safer, you know, you know, discounts are coming, they blow all their money, you know, Khalila blow, they spend all their money on svarim, everything they could possibly get, and, uh, you know, they have to buy a ship to have it sent over. Ooh, you know, and we don't usually ship things. You know, they bring it back home. You know, Mom, look, I have all this svarim, you know. Buy new bookcases, you know. Whatever you got, I have all You should know, by the way, of course, it was, it was never like this. I mean, in Europe, it used to be that, there were, that everybody in the base medrash had to know a particular Masechta Baal Peh. So that if you had a question on Sanhedrin, you ask him, he knows it. No, no take, the, take the book off the shelf. Who said you had a whole shas? Who said you basically had a whole shas? You go ask him, he's Sanhedrin, he's Baba Metziah, you know, he's Baba Kama, you know. The shas was sitting there. Of course, if you had to, you can go to one of the guys who knew everything, but okay, you know, at least, at least specialists. He'll tell you the Rishonim, the Akronim. Today we have it all. By the way, I'm convinced in 10 years that'll be gone also. You know, there's going to be the electronic Gemara. There's just going to be one page, you know, and then you just, you know, Tap whatever you know with the where you know you want Rishonim, Achronim, bring it all down. You look at the Mayamalukum, the the thing. It all just pop in on screen. Another ten years, watch for it. But in any event, but now Svarim everywhere, and those of us who are you know not so proficient, there's everything in English. Rascal keeps coming out with more and more stuff. I don't know if you saw. They just published the little Zohar says it's going to be released for Lagba uh, <laughs> Connect the dots and make your own golem. But in any event, <laughs> it's so readily available. You have everything, you know? Now understand, you're living in a time when there's, you have the Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim, period. That's it. There's not a Mishnah. There's not a Gemara. There's not a Rashi. There's not an art school sitter. I know, I, that made the biggest impression on everybody, you know? <laughs> Rashi always hit me. I, I, they always ask the question. You know, I mean, to us, Chumash and Rashi is so basic. Who was the first to learn Chumash with Rashi? His father. But in any event... <laughs> oh, wait, I know it's late. But in any event... <laughs> the mask of Omer. Anyway, so... You're in an era where you have nothing. You have a Tanakh. No place to look up. You know, what the tefillin should look like, or how it goes, or where the parsha is, nothing. I had a question, you know, the first 12 years, Rabbi Kiva got 12,000 Talmidim, the next 12 years, he also got 12,000 Talmidim. So you figure it's an average of about 1,000 a year, right? But the truth is, if you think about it, the first 12 years, when he was sitting down the first year learning Aleph Beis, probably didn't get too many Talmidim. Second year, he started to learn a little Chumash, probably not too many Talmidim. He opened up a Mishnah, I don't think yet. The 12,000 Talmidim he got, he must have gotten at the end of the 12,000 years. At uh, 12 years. <laughs> That's another class. But in any event, it was the end of those 12 years that he, that he got those 12,000 Talmidim. So now that he was building on that base, how come another 12 years he only got another 12,000? Uh, 12, so I asked this once to Rashiva and he says to me, well, that's obvious. Once you're successful, you become more selective. Yeah. So at uh, the beginning, you take whoever you can, but after that, me, I'm a keeper. <laughs> I don't think that's shot, personally. <laughs> I think 
it's because everybody who was Roy at that point to become a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva became a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. He had the 24,000 people in Klai Yisrael who were Roy to be Tanoyim, who were Roy to follow from a Rebbe like Rabbi Akiva, who was on the highest level, 49 levels, he was on the 50th. Somebody who was on a position to be able to give them over the Torah the right way. To, to dash in not just every letter, but every crown on every letter. And all 24,000 of them were there. And in 33 days, they all passed away. I have to tell you, you know, I remember back in 1985, remember, the Stipler, Rabbi Yaakov and Rabbi Moshe were all nifted within a few months of each other. It was devastating. It, it was so any one of those would have been devastating, but three within such a short period of time, boom, boom, boom. I mean, if you remember at that time, people felt bereft. What do you do? Where do you go? Even though we had other gedolim and we had and we had other tamidichacham and we had svarim and we had, we lost three gedolim. We, 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 we were we were beside ourselves. Imagine you have nothing but these twenty-four thousand talmidim. And over 700 of them are passing away every single day. Day after day after day. Now put yourself for a moment into Rabbi Akiva's shoes. Rabbi Akiva, whose motto is, This is, this is, this is the general rule. Love your neighbor. And, and we know more than that, your Talmidim are like your children. Could you imagine what Rabbi Akiva was going through every day? Over 700 of Talmidim are passing away. Running from Leviah to Leviah to Leviah. And then running back to nurse those who are still, who are still alive. And watching everything that you've done for 24 years crumble. And you know it's not just you. It's all Klai Yisrael depending on these people. One after another after another. Tens, hundreds, thousands. Tens of thousands with nothing to back it up. You finally reach the nadir. You've lost it all. Could anyone fault Rabbi Akiva at that point for wanting to quit? Would anyone have a taina on him if he said, obviously I wasn't meant for chinuch? Right? Whatever it is that I'm supposed to be giving over to my Talmidim, I didn't succeed. My Torah won't be Mekuyim. Can anyone imagine the, the despair that a person would feel? I gave a, gave a marshal with this, that uh, story that, that I had heard once. The Chavetz Chaim had a nephew by the name of Rabbi David Leibowitz. David Leibowitz was in Slobodka with Rabbi Aaron Kutler and uh, with Rabbi Yaakov. And uh, he, uh, the Chavetz Chaim gave him a mission. Chavetz Chaim told Rabbi David in, in the 1920s, go to America and save American Jewry. Rabbi David. So he comes across in a boat, try to start. Now at this time, the concept of learning, like they did in Europe for many years, was non-existent in America. You learned a year or two, they gave you smicha and you went out. You know, do something. They were desperate for leadership. They didn't have time to train people the way they should become. It's real time of so he starts the yeshiva, the first kailo in America. 
I heard from Rabbi Chait, Chaim, he says, when, when you don't understand what this was, when we'd walk down the street, people would throw rocks at us. People so despised the concept of, of a yeshiva, of a kola. And guys were sitting and learning. He said it, at the time, the Agudas Rabbanon would not allow anyone to join who got smich in America, only in Europe. And Abdullah said, test my boys like you test the people in Europe. He says, these are American boys. He says, test my boys like those boys. Rabbi Chait said, we, he called us in, they would tell us to answer Rabbi Kivegis Tzorchi and Gadol questions. He said, that, that's how we were being tested. And, and, and he made an exception from Chavetz Chaim, they were allowed to join. David passed away early, and his son of Hanach, at a very early, very young age, had to take over the yeshiva. Now, you know what this is? To have a mission from the Chavetz Chaim that he gave your father, that your father died for, that you have to, that you feel driven to try to save Judaism in America. And Rav Hanach, building a yeshiva and uh, he had a mashkiach, you may have heard of Rav Scheinberg and uh, they had a different approach you know, Rav Hanuk had his mission from his father from the Chavetz Chaim and uh, Rav Scheinberg had a different approach so they agreed to part ways, Rav Scheinberg left and he took the entire yeshiva with him Rav Hanuk was left with nothing Kimat. and so two years passed and this is what I was told is that at the end of those two years Rav Hanuk said if I don't get some Talmidim, I'll close up shop and I'll become a Poseg. Do, do you know what kind of despair one has to feel? Here's a mission from the Chavetz Chaim that was given to my father, that was given to me, and I didn't succeed. Baruch Hashem, the next year you got Talmidim, it continued. Many branches Chavetz Chaim has around the country. But here's Rabbi Akiva. 24,000 Talmidim in such a short period of time. All of his work has crumbled into a heap. Could you blame him if he decided to close up shop? I mean, how much can a person take? And Rabbi Akiva looks around and he says, I have to start over. And he finds five Talmidim to start over with. To start to rebuild Torah in Klai Yisrael. And say the Chazal, and from those five Talmidim, Torah continued. From the fact that Rabbi Akiva, amidst the ashes, amidst the despair, is willing to pick himself up and say, I won't give up. I'm going to try. You have to keep going. No matter what you lose. No matter what you've been through. You have to keep going. And who's one of those five Talmidim? Roshim Bar Yechai. who spent his life bringing down the Nista, revealing the hidden. And yet, whatever aspects he wanted to bring down, he couldn't bring down. And it's the day of his death. You know, you can't fault somebody if they decide on the day of their death to spend a little time for themselves give themselves some time for introspection. Hill Goldberg has a book called The Fire Within that talks about the Musa movement. And he has one, one little section there where he says, you tell a lot about a person by how they spend the day of their death. Rabbi Saul Salanta, who gave his whole life to self-perfection, working to grow, on the day of his death, he was in a small town, and he was spending the time reassuring the Shomer who was going to be watching his dead body not to be afraid to be with a corpse. 
This is how Yisrael is spending his last time. The Alta of Navardik is spending his last days nursing his Talmidim who were suffering from a plague. And he caught the plague and died taking care of his Talmidim. Hashem Bayachai gives it all he can on that last day and brings down the light. That's what the fires are about. The fire is about the light. And if I can say, maybe the next morning when we come out amidst the ashes, it's to remind us that on Lagba Omer, when you lose it all, when Rabbi Akiva lost everything, you have to start over. I've heard so many stories, so many stories of people after the Holocaust, they lost their whole family, a wife and children. I mean, like, you know, to imagine to lose, to lose your whole family. And they marry somebody else who lost their whole family, and they build another family. Where do you get the strength to go on? How do you continue? How do you find that strength within the ashes to keep going? That's what we celebrate on Lag Bowman. On Lag Bowman, the celebration is you can lose everything, and from the ashes you continue. Maybe that's what the Prichadosh means when he answers. Maybe the Simcha is on the next five Talmidim. Because even though Rabbi Akiva lost everything, and you see you're losing everything, and you know this, you're doing everything you can, but yet I'm sure Rabbi Akiva was smart enough to see where things were going, to still have the strength after that traumatic experience to go on. Maybe that was Rabbi Akiva's strength. We all know the Gemara at the end of Makos, when everybody looked at the destruction of the base of Migdash and cried while a fox walks out of the Kosher Kedoshim, Rabbi Kiva laughs. He says, you can hit rock bottom and find the strength. You know if you hit the bottom, the only place to go is up. And that's Lag Bomer. Rabbi Kiva reached the bottom. He lost everything. The only place to go is up. And I think it's so appropriate that Lagba Omer comes out, obviously, during the Omer. Because it means we're supposed to be going up 49 levels. Day after day, counting up, not down to nothing, counting up. You know how many of us don't take advantage of opportunities? You know how many people go into yeshiva and they get confused and they say, ah, I'll pick up on the next sugya. This one's going. You know what I mean? Oh, the next thing. The next thing I'll pick up. This thing I have. It's too late. It's too late for me. Too late for you. At 40 years old, Rabbi Akiva said it's not too late. After losing 24,000 Talmidim in the hope of Klai Yisrael, he didn't say it was too late. Lagba Omer tells us that with 33 days gone and only 16 left, it's not too late. That every single day we can take and use and build. And it's never too late. We're now just over half the halfway mark. Going to Shavuos. Counting up to an event. I mentioned earlier, you know, it's very strange that the Torah doesn't talk about Shavuos. It talks about the seven weeks, but doesn't talk about Shavuos. Says the al you know why? Because what would we celebrate? That we got the Torah? We didn't. All we got were broken fragments 
because Moshe Rabbeinu came down and found us worshipping the Egel Azov. And when he saw the golden calf, he smashed the Luchos. What are we celebrating? You want to celebrate the Torah? That's Yom Kippur. That's when we got the second Luchos. That's what we have. The first Luchos were destroyed. It ended in tragedy. Says the Alshech. The only thing we can celebrate as we come to Shavuos is the fact that we were prepared to accept the Torah. The fact that we worked on ourselves and we grew during this time. That we reached a level that we were ready to receive the Torah. As we move up and we count up, it's not just a preparation for Shavuos. That's the Simcha. The celebration is the fact that we have taken advantage of this time to change, to grow, to become better. And as I mentioned, anyone who thinks that they're going to spend 49 days and suddenly reach the highest level of Kedusha, you forgot the beginning of the story. Maybe Akiva knew he was 40. And he thought it was too late. Until he saw the little drops on the rock. And he said, that's how you change. One drop at a time. It's imperceptible. And yet relentless. If you work and allow it to take place, it will change you. And you have to allow yourself. You have to allow yourself to take advantage of this time. And Dafka, this time, there's a special power. Mechtamil Yahu writes it, and, uh, and Revirin Cutler writes it, that, that for different reasons, but, but the point is the same, that the reason that Rekiva's Talmidim died during this time is because when this was a time of growth, and they weren't spending the time on growth, When the special power is here now for us to take advantage of changing and growing. And how does one do it? How does one prepare for it? It's all midos. It's all, it's all self-growth. They all died because they weren't giving cover to each other. <coughs> cover to each other. It means that we take this time and we work on 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 those things that tell us I can be a better person, a nicer person, grow in my midos, grow in my amuna, grow in its areas, only one drop at a time by developing a sensitivity and an outlook. And if we work on those things, then come Shavuos, we really have something to celebrate. The fact that we worked and we grew and we changed and we accomplished. We're at the halfway mark. I always say, you know, an optimist looks at a glass and says it's half full. A pessimist looks at it and says it's half empty. I always say, don't spill it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I have eight children. You know, it's a different approach. But the truth is, you can look at the Omer as half over, or you can look at the Omer and say, we've got halfway to go. And we're going to make each day count on some level, drop by drop, change, use the opportunity to develop these sensitivities, and then we have something to celebrate. Thank you very much. Bye.